0: Support for Boston Public Radio comes from the Museum of Science, where their new exhibit, Changing Landscapes, an Immersive Journey, transports you to iconic spots around the globe to see how people are adapting to a changing climate. More at MOS.org.
1: I'm Jim Browdy. And I'm Marjorie Egan. This is the best of Boston Public Radio, a new daily podcast from GBH featuring our favorite conversations from our three-hour radio show in under 40 minutes.
0: Don't panic. If you love filling your phone with episodes of our full show podcast, you can still find it anywhere you get your podcast or just catch us live on 89.7 GBH. Starting at 11 o'clock.
1: Today on the show, chaotic 36 hours in Russia. Explain. We talk with Steven Pfeiffer. He's a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and senior fellow at the Brookings Institution about the short-lived Wagner Group mutiny against the Russian army and the Ukrainian counter-offensive.
0: And cell-cultured meat has just been approved for production in the United States. Are you excited for the new frontier of lab-based livestock? We open the lines to hear from
1: listeners. And we got some free chicken advice. Here's the show. The mood in Russia appears to be calmer today after the stunning developments over the weekend as the mercenary Wagner Group marched towards the capital of Moscow, threatening an open rebellion then halting its advance and averting a possible confrontation with Putin's military. Stephen Pfeiffer is the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, the third ever. He also served as a special assistant to President Clinton and senior director for Russia, Ukraine, and Eurasia on the National Security Council. He's now a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and an affiliate of the Center for International Security and Cooperation at Marjorie's alma mater, Stanford University. Ambassador Pfeiffer, we really appreciate your time.
0: I'm uh, happy to be here. So, Ambassador, as Jim just said, we don't know why uh, this Wagner group turned around.
2: And, and um, do we know anything more? No, I think that's still one of the mysteries. Um, first of all, let me say, I do not believe this was a coup against Vladimir Putin.
0: Yeah.
2: This was really aimed at the Russian military leadership, the uh, Defense Minister Shoigu and the Chief of the General Staff, Gerasimov. And... Prigozhin who heads the Wagner Group, I mean, he's been feuding with the uh, Russian military leadership for years. Uh, but this was the mystery. Uh, he had taken control of the Russian Southern Military District headquarters in Rostov. He had units that were moving towards Moscow, apparently meeting very little opposition. And then at the end of the day, on the 24th, he declares, no, they are returning to their garrisons. He's going to... Um, I go to uh, Belarus, and uh, apparently then the charges of treason were dropped, although there are reports now in Russia today that uh, he still is under investigation for armed insurrection. Why
1: was there (laughs) such little uh, resistance? You know, when I'm hearing, and this is all new to me, Ambassador, about uh, 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 Prigozhin and his people taking over the, what is it, the Southern Military District headquarters with virtually no opposition, what is – Putin thinking? What are the military people thinking? What are the security services
2: thinking? Why was it so easy? Yeah, well, there were, first of all, a, a good portion of the Russian military is tied down fighting in Ukraine.
1: Of course, yeah. Uh,
2: but one of the really interesting images out of Rostov broadcast by Progoshen is he's having quite friendly conversations with the staff there, with the commanders there. I mean, my guess is there are actually quite a few people in the Russian military who share Prigozhin's criticism of both Shoigu, the defense minister, and the chief of the general staff. They believe that this war over the last 16 months in Ukraine has been bought in a very poor way, and that the military leadership has not been held to account for that. So, But even if what you say is
1: true a a minute or so ago, uh, Ambassador, that this was directed by Prigozhin at military leadership, not Putin directly— if he were able to topple military leadership or show them to be as weak, at least temporarily, as he did, there is a trickle-down or trickle-up effect on the power of Vladimir
2: Putin, is there not? Sure. And 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 there's no way that Putin emerges from this uh, episode on Saturday looking stronger. He looks weaker. Um, interestingly to me, he only appeared publicly once in a very short five-minute yeah. television broadcast – there was, for example, no subsequent broadcast showing them meeting, him meeting with the security and defense officials how to deal with the crisis. He was pretty much invisible for most of the day. What do you read uh, into that? It, it's it's This is so, something, I mean, Putin, when he can prepare the scene, is always very well prepared. When things catch him by surprise, and I believe at least the timing of this military mutiny caught in by surprise, he tends to go to ground. And we saw this all the way back in 2000 with the first episode, for example, when the cursed submarine sank, Mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to respond. He needs time to sort of pull himself together. Uh, And so he was virtually invisible on Saturday.
0: We're talking to Stephen for the former U.S. ambassador to uh, Ukraine. You know, tell us a little bit of the background of this of this character, Purgosian. I read it, you know, every other word is a swear. He's screaming at people. He called the war a racket, kind of undermined the propaganda that Putin has been feeding the American uh, people. But he, he he came out of the hot dog business.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> Tell us a little bit about right. who this character is. Yeah, he's one of the uh, group of people around Putin. He was fairly close to it, who came from St. Petersburg. He was in St. Petersburg. Of course, that's where Putin, after Putin, left the KGB, he was deputy mayor of St. Petersburg. So that's that connection and was clearly favored by Putin. I mean, he, Grigosian, built up this empire. But what was of use to Putin was this Wagner group, this group of mercenaries who fought and are continuing to fight in places like Africa, and in Syria, advancing Russian interests. But then Prigozhin also put together this military force, which was fighting uh, with various degrees of effectiveness alongside Russian military forces in Ukraine.
0: And how did he even get this kind of experience? Like I said, he came out of the hot tub. Is I guess he was in prison for ten years. Was catering things at the Kremlin. Was people called him Putin's caterer? No, Putin's
1: chef. He doesn't like being called Putin's chef. Excuse we learned me. that over the weekend. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. But 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 to um, to be the c- commander of this of this large group of many of whom are ex cons as well. I mean, where did this come from?
2: Yeah, yeah I, I mean, he's gradually expanded his empire. So, for example, ten years ago. Uh, We now know he was behind uh, the Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg, which, of course, was implicated in trying to uh, sway the American elections back in 2016. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he's gradually expanded this empire. He got into mercenary work in Africa. And then he built this force uh, which fought in Ukraine, which really had sort of two components. There was a core group of very experienced ex-military people uh, who were fairly effective. But then last year, he began to go to prisons in Russia, recruiting convicts. Uh, They were promised if you fight for six months, uh, you will then be granted uh, a pardon. Of course, many of them were just tossed into a meat grinder. They were given very little training. They were mass charges to expose Ukrainian positions that could then be attacked by the more experienced group. But it's been a fairly important unit for the Russian military uh, because they provide 20,000, 25,000 troops that the Russian military otherwise would not have.
1: Well, we want to talk about what – I wouldn't say the absence of them, but the – I guess the difference in role and potentially leadership – What impact that'll have on the war in Ukraine. We're talking to Stephen Pfeiffer, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. You know, I don't want you to hang up when you realize how little I know about the politics of the region, ambassador. But I'm watching (laughs) CNN over the weekend. Me neither. Cheering on Prigozhin until I, one, learn more about Prigozhin. Two, I listen to some military leaders whom I respect saying uh, 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 things could get worse in terms of potential instability. A uh, uh, nuclear weapon control—that sort of thing—should Putin fold? Do you share that notion that as much of a problem as Putin is for the world and Ukraine in particular, that a successor, at least if it was in the Prigozhin mold, might even be worse for this world?
2: Yeah. First of all, let, let's be clear: Prigozhin is not a good guy. Mm. Uh, right. There was this uh, ugly incident about nine months ago where uh, one of, member of the Wagner uh, Group mercenaries who had Surrendered, then sort of of The Ukrainians was brought back, and Prigozhin had him executed with a sledgehammer to the head. This is not a good guy, you know. And and so we would not want to see Prigozhin replace Putin at the top. Now, again, I don't think Prigozhin's goal was to replace Putin. Prigozhin's beef is with the Russian military. And then there was this effort more recently where the Russian military was saying all of the Wagner Group people have to sign contracts with the Russian military by July 1 and he was pushing it back against that 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 was his fight there.
1: And so what how weakened is the Putin effort which obviously has been I think it's fair to say not terribly competent and not wildly effective considering the the advantage they have in terms of numbers and weaponry how disadvantaged is the Putin effort with this this uh, whatever this change in the Wagner group, considering that at least most accounts I read said they were the most effective fighters that uh, Putin had.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think this does damage uh, Putin's the image he wants to create of a strong man always in control. And I guess I'd cite three points. First of all, it had to worry Putin that the reception given yeah. by the people of Rostov to the Wagner group for that twelve or fifteen hours that they'd occupied the town was very positive. Mm -hmm. And then he had to worry what happened if that Wagner Group unit that was heading to Moscow actually got into Moscow. They were probably too small to capture anything. But the idea of Wagner Group tanks sort of parading down Leninsky prospect heading for Red Square would have been a very damaging uh, image. Second, uh, within uh, Russia, it looked like a lot of people in the elites basically remained silent during the actual time of the crisis. You know, there weren't a lot of people coming out and saying, yes, we've got to back Putin, we've Mm -hmm. got to back Putin. They were waiting to see what happened. You know, that can't be taken by Putin as an indication that he has a lot of domestic support out there. And I thought it was also interesting is the foreign reaction. Very few countries spoke out in favor of Putin as the elective leader of Russia during the crisis. Even the Chinese, from what I can tell, the Chinese did not come out and express a call of support for stability in Russia until after this thing had been settled late Saturday night. Now, that's also got to make Putin wonder. Everybody was sort of sitting on the fence waiting to see what happened as opposed to coming to his support.
1: Will it help Ukraine's I, war effort or was this thing too short-lived, Ambassador?
2: I, I think it, it has, it, first of all, uh, it suggests division in Russia, which is good for Ukraine. Uh, it's got to be a distraction. Uh, my, my guess is the Ukrainians will try in their information war to use this uh, in terms of broadcasting to Russian forces mm-hmm. fighting in Ukraine. This is what's going on at home yeah. while you're here fighting in Ukraine. Why are you here? Why aren't you at home? And I think there'll be another question. We just don't know what happens to the Wagner group. I mean, the Wagner group you know, by some appearances was fairly effective compared to other units of the regular Russian military. Now, if they now break Wagner up and then they start seeding these guys, they sign contracts and who knows how many will sign contracts, but then they're placed throughout the Russian military. First of all, you're putting a bunch of Wagner people in who, I think by their experience, detest the Russian military. Mm. How will they be integrated in that fight? So this could actually result in a fairly significant um, reduction in Russian military capacity against the Ukrainians.
0: We're talking, Stephen, we're talking to Stephen Pye, for the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. You know, you mentioned several times now that that that, that, that this uh, Wagner Group leader, um, Prigozhin was – upset more about the military than he was about Putin. And, and you mentioned these possible contracts that Wagner group members would have to sign. But what else was he upset about? What was his problem with the military that would cause him to do what he did?
2: Uh, well, he claims that, and been very vocal over the last six to eight months in claiming that uh, the Russian military has denied him things like heavy equipment ammunition ammunition, uh, that mm-hmm. he's needed to press the fight. Uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, after Bakhmut finally fell, uh, the Wagner Group forces were pulling out to be replaced by regular regular Russian military. That made some sense to give the uh, Wagner Group people some time to rest and recuperate. He said in one case, units proceeding down a road actually proceeded down a road that had been mined by the Russian military to kill Wagner Group people. Yes. And then on Saturday, he broadcast this uh, short tape saying that actually Russian military forces had rocketed a position occupied by Wagner group. So there's okay. this hostility towards the Russian military and it goes back a long time. So
0: I wonder if you know the, the, the you've heard this word a million times now that this guy's a dead man walking cuz Putin's going to come after him. But but do you think perhaps that he was aiming more at the military than at Putin matters that this this guy can possibly survive in Belarus or anywhere that he might go?
2: Um, I I think uh, his his prospects of long term survival are significantly less today than they were on Friday. Yeah, because even though his mutiny was not directed against Putin per se, uh, one on on Saturday morning, he came out and he basically challenged all of the reason that Putin has given for this war. He said Ukraine presented no threat. There was no need for denazification or demilitarization. That was an indirect account on Putin. But even if it's just a mutiny against the Russian military leadership, it has had the effect of making Putin look weak. And I'm not sure Putin is going to be prepared to forgive that.
1: Do you think this thing is over? I mean, I know this instance, this set of circumstances is over, but it's hard for me to believe that this they are 120 miles from Moscow marching in that direction. And then all of a sudden, poof, uh, uh, the leader is exiled uh, in Belarus. The uh, the troops themselves will not. I guess, be prosecuted. It's just hard for me to believe that this is anything more than interim resolution, Ambassador Pfeiffer.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I look at this and I can see why, you know, Putin staked out a very hard position on Saturday morning. He said, you know, these guys are traitors. They will be brought to justice. And then Saturday evening, all is forgiven. Now, I think in Putin's case, I can see why Putin backed down. Because again, for Putin, the image had those Wagner groups actually reached Moscow, even with 10 tanks proceeding down the streets of Moscow. That's a huge blow to Putin's image. What I have a harder time understanding, though, is why Prigozhin backed down so completely. And and this makes me think we don't understand all of the pieces of whatever settlement was supposedly brokered uh, to end this crisis on Saturday night. And um, again, it looks like some of those pieces may be coming undone, apparently you know, there was this set, the idea that the uh, charges against Progozin had been dropped on Saturday night, but now apparently those charges may still be investigated. So this, I think, still has a ways to play out before it comes to a final conclusion. It's
1: hard to believe that Putin could ever back out of a deal, isn't it, Ambassador? <laughs> it's really shocking.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. also, I think we've learned something interesting about Putin. I mean, Putin tells this story about how when he was a kid, he was backed into a corner by a rat. And he... Yeah, and Or he backed the rat in the corner, and that rat just fought and fought and fought. And Putin kind of says, that's a lesson I learned, that when you're backed into a corner, you fight and you fight and you fight. Well, in this case, it looked like on Saturday, Putin yeah. was in something of a corner, and he didn't fight and fight and fight. He didn't escalate. Uh, he basically uh, apparently had uh, Belarusian strongman Lukashenko negotiate a way out of it. So I think we've learned something interesting about Putin uh, on Saturday as well.
1: And what is that that we learned about Putin.
2: That, that maybe when in a corner, instead of escalating, uh, he sometimes looks to negotiate a way out. And this actually may be something that's being watched in Kiev, because there's this idea that, you know, Putin will escalate and escalate to in Ukraine. Right. Uh, but he didn't escalate on Saturday. Uh, He chose to negotiate a way out when he was in a difficult situation. You know,
1: following up on that, if I may, Ambassador Pfeiffer, every single person I have interviewed, every single person who has your level of expertise or close to your level of expertise around this issue has said, without exception, this war will not be over until Putin is gone. Do you subscribe to that notion? Because you don't, you sound like a minute ago, like you think... He might try to negotiate
2: a way out. Uh, I think there's a small chance to that, but I, I think more likely if Putin, in his mind, if he comes away from this war with anything that looks like a victory, that's a huge blow to his image, to his mm-hmm. leadership. A- and my guess is it will be hard for Russia to lose the war and Putin still remain in power. But I still also think there's a chance, maybe not a big chance, but a small chance, That Putin, at the end of the day, might try to negotiate his way out if he recognizes that this war is not winnable at a cost that Russia is prepared to pay. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, one of the things we've heard over and over again since this tragedy of this invasion of Ukraine is how Putin expected the Ukrainians to fold in a few days and he would just have the country uh, or at least huge sections of the country. I wonder if, if if you see anything unique in the Ukrainians' resistance. I mean, is this what anybody does when their country's invaded uh, down through history? Or is there something
2: unusual going on there? I, I, no, I, I think uh, Putin, at one level, I, I do not believe Putin understands Ukraine or Ukrainians. Yeah. And it was evident 10 years ago, the last time that Vladimir Putin visited Kiev was in uh, 2013, and he gave a speech in which he said we russians and ukrainians are one people that was the central theme that's a really tone-deaf thing to say in kiev because for a lot of ethnic ukrainians what they hear is you're denying my culture my language my history and i i think in the kremlin they completely underestimated the readiness of ukrainians to fight i was in kiev about three weeks before the invasion and when you talk to people not in the military and said what are you going to do if the russians invade they're saying I'm going to join the territorial defense forces. We heard that there was, oh, if you wanted to learn in Kyiv in the end of January of 2022, as a civilian, how to fire an AK-47, the waiting list was two to three weeks long. Oh wow. My uh, and I have to say, I mean, at the end, I, I anticipated that the Russian military would fairly quickly overwhelm the Ukrainian military. I mean, you're talking about a modernized Russian military that was fighting the Ukrainian military in February of 22 that was largely equipped with 30-year-old equipment. What I expected, though, was after the Russian military won the force-on-force fight, that the Russians would then be saddled with this bloody decades-long insurgency that the Ukrainians would continue to fight. And I go back to a a former colleague uh, at the embassy in Ukraine when I spoke to her a little bit ago, and she says, we're Ukrainians, we're going to fight for our land. And I don't think Putin understood that, and I, I'm not sure if he fully understands that now. Ambassador
1: Piper, before you go, I'm assuming you were aware of Zelensky when he was starring in Surge, "A Servant <laughs> of the People" long before we had a comedy series. For those who don't know, I assume everybody does know. Uh, I, I continue. I don't. I'm surely not. I continue to be stunned by his courage and brilliance of leadership. What's your reaction to how President Zelensky has? performed
2: over these last year and a half. yeah, Jim, I say welcome to the group. <laughs> no, I, I recall back in January of 2022, at which point I was persuaded by just what the Russians were doing, the way the Russians were talking. And then colleagues in the U.S. government would say things like, we're not going to share the intelligence with you, but it's bone chilling about Russian plans. Uh, but so we're talking, you know, OK, if the Russians do invade, how does Zelensky react? And I don't think anybody really knew. And looking back now, I mean, Zelensky provided exactly yeah. the leadership that Ukraine needed. Really from that first day when he reportedly said, I don't need ammunition, uh, I don't need ride, I need ammunition. Yeah. And and he really so has correct. shown I mean there was this wonderful about the fourth day of the war, you saw this contrast in pictures. One was Putin meeting with his defense minister and the chief of the general staff in the Kremlin. They're sitting down at a table, they're thirty yes. feet apart yes. away from Britain. And the, the picture from Kyiv is Zelensky out having tea yeah. with a group of soldiers manning a checkpoint, you know, in downtown Kyiv. And you're going, that just encapsulates two very different yeah. visions of leadership. And Zelensky has been exactly the leader that Ukraine has needed for the past sixteen months.
1: And probably the leader the world needs right now too, not just Ukraine.
2: I think the world has an interest in seeing Ukraine prevail in this war. So, yes, uh, this is the person that uh, the world needs to have in Kiev at the moment.
1: Ambassador, it was great to meet you. We really appreciate your thoughts and perspective. You're great. Thank you.
0: Yes. Thank you for having me.
1: So move over craft brewed beer. Lab cultured meat is coming to the U.S. The USDA and FDA have approved it for production and for sale for the first time. But as our food man, Corby, tells us, the texture could be different. There's no muscle for you meat eaters to dig your teeth into. But maybe it's good enough for Marjorie, who apparently hates chicken thighs. So I
0: do not. Well, I, I, yeah, I you eat do. them under duress. Okay, fine.
1: So
3: what we've been talking about a lot is now called cell cultivated meat. Okay. Uh, and it's grown from tissue and cells of animals that are put into a growth medium in a lab. Then they're kind of brewed. It is a big brewery and it greatly expands these uh, small cells into not even hunks of meat. What it is is like a pulp and they're able to form it into essentially chicken fingers or fish fingers. The big news is that USDA isn't challenging this and is saying that the breweries where these animal cells can be grown out into meat can be inspected just like the USDA inspects slaughterhouses they're not going to challenge the safety of this as a class they're just going to challenge case by case that means that the very few companies that have begun to market this can keep marketing it and try to scale up why is it so much better uh, or more um workable a solution than plant-based meat, which is I love and is very evolved, because it is the same kind of animal cell. It should taste like chicken because it is chicken. What it doesn't have is the texture, the muscles, the skin, oh, the bone. It does. All the stuff that makes us associate meat with meat. It's very far from being at all scalable at any kind of decent cost. And it's very far from coming to the market except for a few small restaurants. But it's great that the FDA and the USDA are lowering barriers so that the billions that have already gone into investing in these companies all over the world um, can keep going with an end in mind. We're going to be able to bring this to market.
1: You just said the issue, one, well, not the issue, but one difference is texture, right? And it's my reluctance to buy into the, the impossible meat kind of thing was uh, is a texture Issue because the taste you've introduced us to these in those blindfolded tests I think we did at the library and to me it tasted almost exactly the same but the texture isn't the the same why isn't the texture the same if they're growing it from in a from the cells of a chicken why I understand why it doesn't look like a chicken why doesn't it have the texture of a chicken
3: because they're just growing meat that's like a fish fillet or like a chicken breast. They aren't growing any of the cells that would turn into scanner fat or bone, uh, and so. But what you're talking about with plant-based meat is called the whole cut problem. And there's good news coming what because already Beyond Meat has a very plausible steak tip product that I recently uh, tasted, and there are other chicken wings coming. This is the next big frontier in plant-based meat: is getting the texture right for so-called whole cut. Uh, meat substitute. So I think that with all these things, plant-based is going to get there a lot soon.
1: Well, except plant-based is going to get there a lot sooner in terms of texture. The same article, which we read in Vox about the cultured chicken or whatever you want to call it, chicken from cells, says that the share of the market that's going to these plant-based alternatives is slipping pretty dramatically. What's What's that about?
3: I think what it's been about is price parity. If you can buy ground meat a lot cheaper than you can buy Impossible Burger, you're going to go for that. Ideology be damned. Also, uh, people did want more of that texture, and I think of whole cut meat, and I think that that's coming. So I think it's going to get better.
0: You know what I wondered about the corb? You just mentioned that they're making like chicken breasts. But if you're somebody that likes the chicken breast, you don't like the dark meat, you don't like the skin, you don't like the bones. Maybe this would be fine for you, and you could make it like a chicken stir fry kind of thing.
3: I hear that you're asking for a friend, Marjorie.
0: (laughs) She's like so old already. That's right.
1: So are you on board with lab-grown meat? It's now called cell-cultured for environmental and ethical reasons. If you're a vegetarian, this is a really good question I'm going to pose, Marjorie. For animal welfare concerns, would you consider the lab-grown option? They're not killing a chicken. Or are you confused about why anyone would go through all the trouble and you're a carnivore purist? Our number is 877-301-8970. Want to know if you'd... Dig into this, uh, what is it called? Cell-cultured meat. And I have a corollary question that What's came that? up in the last segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a Chicken thigh or chicken breast? And I want to know, I think it says everything you need to know about a person— when they prefer the bland chicken breast, which Marjorie prefers, mm-hmm. to the juicier and much tastier chicken thigh, which yeah. I prefer. Well, it's the same
0: thing with turkey: white meat or dark
1: meat. Dark meat. Have you ever noticed on Thanksgiving,
0: Jim? A lot of people like white meat. They better do. Than they they like, do. They do. It's
1: bland. And are they? Are they, they live somehow? hapless, dull lives of okay. desperation. <laughs> and those of us <laughs> who eat the dark meat, uh, whatever. By the way, I would. Tr- I think I'd try this uh, cell cultured thing. Would you not try it? I try it.
0: I don't know. I mean, like I said, it, 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 it maybe when they get it perfected. I mean, these stories say that people will be dead this for, when they
1: perfect it. I'm asking we'll be, now. We'll be dead.
0: No, I, I don't think so. Not, no, you would not, not. I would not. I'm not interested. What in if it. you could
1: spread peanut butter on it? Would you do it? Well, then?
0: I just have the plain peanut butter. Listen, to this. This is Lisa from Hollister, from Hollister, California. Yeah. She says she's a former vegan. Uh, and the plant-based meats are a real challenge with soy, uh, miscellaneous fillers, vital mm. wheat gluten,
2: right.
0: high sodium, artificial colors, highly processed. I love them, when I, but when I was craving a burger or a meat fix, but it's more like plant-based junk food and often more expensive. So she's looking forward to cultured meats.
1: Mm. Well what go. do you think about it? do you know a lot of vegetarians? Well actually why don't we just ask listeners like I did? Yeah. Why would a vegetarian if it's purely about animal welfare? It could be other things, which is fine. If it's about animal welfare and this is not killing any chickens, uh or why Maybe would you not because go back? they
0: feel better. Not eating meat.
1: Well, I said if it's if it's something other than animal welfare, obviously it won't make it different. But it's purely the fact when you hear those stories about chickens who are so yeah. tightly packed in they can't even their feet don't even hit the ground. But a
0: lot of people don't eat meat because they're worried about cholesterol. Right. I said, well, like well, if
1: that. that's the reason, then you obviously won't change. That's okay. My we don't. Point. Do we
0: know about the cholesterol count in cell cultivated? Yes, meat, we Jim? do.
1: Okay. What is it? I was told I couldn't share it with you at this time. <laughs> So, at okay. some point in the future, when okay, it's appropriate, I, don't think we know yet, is the I will line. share. No, actually, that's not true. Okay, we that's, don't. That's
0: what Jim says. Uh,
1: okay, Jeff from Exeter,
0: know. New Hampshire. Well, thank I think you we do know.
1: If it's from a chicken, it's from a chicken. Know. It's a chicken. It's a
0: chicken. I don't know enough about cells and where the okay, cholesterol is. Okay, I'm
1: comes sorry, Jeff.
4: sorry Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. What's up? Hi, thank you for taking the call. Sure. Um, here's what's going on, in my opinion, listening to it. It's very informative. You made me think about this. Good. Thanks for that. Pleasure. The planet is warming at a pace that we can't stand it. There's going to be no vegetation to feed cattle. Cattle are it's going important. to be eradicated. Chickens are going to be eradicated. The droughts are coming. You can't support it. So, in my opinion, big industrial food and government had to turn around and say, wait a minute, you clone this, you make it in a petri dish. We no longer have these things, but we're making them in a lab to feed the world's population. That's it, guys. Thank you.
0: Well, that's a that's great point. That's pretty good, Jeff. It's a great, <clears throat> great point, Jeff. That's you know, there's this said. incredible story over the weekend about this. Thanks, Jeff. This area of um, uh, Midland, California, which had been suffering a terrible drought, and they had that. the huge rains, yeah. and then now this this lake that had been gone has come back, but has come back in such a way that it's it's taken houses with it and telephone poles with it and cars with it it's just like this crazy uh, back and forth of weather that's just very unnerving why did I, you, you
1: say you wouldn't i forgot to ask you i asked you if you wouldn't you said no and then i forgot what you said why wouldn't you
0: because listen to what corby said it doesn't have any of the texture of meat it's kind of like this gloppy stuff it's there it's gloppy and you just have some chickpeas legumes <laughs> you know what are you doing? Like, a bean, you're doing
1: like a bean thing you haven't told like me about beans.
0: i like beans i like lentils jim you lentils do? lentils are the key
1: i make you want know, one of my best creations mm-hmm. it's not that hard to make it's very simple lentil, stew. lentil and kill with kielbasa
0: yeah i've done that too is that it's incredible very, it, it's very good you can freeze it and last you for can. weeks it's amazing and
1: from oxford what do you think it's you know good with chicken thighs you <laughs> shove chicken thighs <laughs> and in oxford i'm sorry hello
5: and in Oxbridge. And thank you oh, for calling. Oh, Oxbridge. We're call. sorry.
1: Oxbridge, sorry. Hi. Thank you
0: for calling.
5: It's clone chicken cells. Yeah. What? Where do you get the cells? You must have to get cells from a chicken in yeah. order to clone the cells to make this goop that you're making.
1: Yeah, but one chicken. And I mean, so even why if.
5: is that any diff-
1: Well, because it's one, one chicken as different. opposed to billions, Anne. No? No.
5: Well, you still have to
1: have a chicken, and you're still eating chicken. Hmm. Right, yeah, but I think the point is you're you not, not wiping out. Find a way
5: out. to make synthetics, synthetic. No, no, no cells. but it's
1: a matter of magnitude. First of all, I don't know if they can get a cell from a, a chicken and keep it alive. That's I assume that's possible, well, exactly. right?
5: Exactly. Right. I mean, you I don't know. know either.
1: But if you kill, let me wait. Wait. That wait. That let, let's I agree on I something, did. and let's see if we can agree on something. I think we can. Okay. If you had a choice between between killing one chicken to eat chicken. Or a million chickens to each chicken. Which would you prefer?
5: Well, I'm not a market for a million chickens.
1: <laughs> well, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. One.
5: I I, I prefer not to kill any my food.
1: Well, good. For, that's that's excellent. You're know, going to find out, but I don't think we'll find out by the end of today's show. Is do you have to kill the chicken to get the cell? I would assume not, Marjorie. Right. What do you think? You're a science expert. I don't
0: know. You can get cells off human beings, obviously, exactly. without killing them. I, so, Anne, if we can get the, the cell kill without them.
1: killing the chicken, are you okay with that?
5: As much as I am not okay with eating animals, but. Oh,
1: you don't you know, like eating animals? But
5: I, I just think it. Yeah, good. I don't. I, I'm wondering if it isn't sort of skirting the issue if you have to start with an animal. Now, that's
1: a good point. That's are you like wicked healthy but, or what? What's your deal? Yes. You are, yeah, It sound you sound really healthy. Yes. Okay. And you're <laughs> you, you, know don't what, tell. you know what you know which what side?
0: I'll be eighty next
1: year. You will not.
0: Wow. You see that? I will. You know it sounded day and over fifty five, Anne. Ann. There you go.
1: You what?
5: I started this regimen diet regimen because I was trying to lower cholesterol. Yeah. There you go.
0: And
1: how's your and, cholesterol? And,
0: and Next to
1: nothing. That's incredible. There
0: you go. Next to nothing. Thank you. It's easy to give up the meat part. if yeah. You ask me. It's hard to Not give for up. Me. Like I got like banana cream pudding yesterday at this. At this. What's the problem with that? Well, that's very bad for you. You shouldn't eat that kind of stuff. What's it got to do with killing an animal? Nothing. I'm just thinking about cholesterol lowering. You know, you could, we're we not could talking the about meat. cholesterol. Well, the, the, that's what just said. Ann she was, did it to yeah. lower her cholesterol. And yeah. she's now a spring chicken, as it were. No pun intended. Oh, that's a good pushing one. 80. Ah. Yeah. Anyway, Don in the car says she loves putting chicken thighs in a slow cooker and making chicken cacciatore. Seems like this type of meat wouldn't work. So I am Out. Let me Riverside. just tell you, something,
1: I don't like chicken uh, chicken cacciatore, mm-hmm. but chicken thighs in a slow cooker with other recipes, or just like best. with olives and prunes, and as mm-hmm. th- like prune humble, chicken. Pr- prune it's a variation chicken. on pruned chicken, but with that's, with with thighs rather than your right. breast uh, thing. There,
0: Tina from Riverside says no thanks saying. on lab flesh. A little too Frankensteinian for me, so I'll stick to my vegan diet and be happy. Some chickens are spared in the future. And uh, here's one more from Ted in Marshfield. Music. I gave it red meat, by far my favorite food, at 18. Wow. I couldn't kill a cow or pig, so I shouldn't be eating them. The Beyond Meat products have already worked wonders in returning me to favorite dishes, so please oh. see these humane products keep coming.
1: Yeah, there I'm with them. But it's, again, I, it seems to me the cell thing cultured thing is pretty humane but we'll we'll do more checking oh
0: richard in the car is calling with chicken advice for me
1: oh good That's oh no good, he's richard. gone now he's back no he's not okay. he's there it's... hi richard what's the advice richard
4: hi. so before i do the chicken advice instead of industrial meat when we can we look for local sources yeah small quantity yep. uh farmers in new hampshire and vermont great and it helps to have a freezer in your basement so you can buy a bunch.
1: Good idea. That's a good point. Let's get to the chicken advice for Marjorie because I think chicken she needs advice. it. Good.
4: So first, first, for Marjorie. Yes. Cook the chicken fries really slow on a grill. Trim a little fat first. Take the skin off. Cook them slow on the That's grill, and they come out tender and not fatty at all. And much delicious. more taste. We we like to just dump some olive topping out on top, and it's a treat. Okay, that sounds good. L-
1: it's Richard. Delicious. Thanks and for the advice, chicken. Advice I'm sorry. Jim, yeah.
4: But, well, So get your chicken breast, yeah. thin sliced chicken breast, yeah. put on ginger, garlic, soy sauce, a little salt and pepper, okay. grill them, and then cut them up and put them on your salad. Oof. And it's also delicious.
1: Can I tell you something? We've gotten a lot of chicken advice in the 24 years we've been on the air. That's the finest chicken advice. Marjorie, is it or isn't it?
0: It's the greatest, Richard. Thanks for listening to the Best of Boston Public Radio podcast from GBH. Our crew is Zoe Matthews, Aidan Conley, Nicole Garcia, Hannah Loss. Our engineer is John the Claw Parker. Our executive producer is Jamie Bologna. If you want to hear the full show? Download our full show podcast or tune in to 89.7 GBH 11 to 2 each weekday.
1: Today's episode was produced by Zoe Matthews.